I know there was something happening when the lights down the stairs went off. I saw a man, which I think, oh, it's, it's my dad, like a, a big man. And I saw him wearing a French army uniform with a half burnt face, which I got blown back by. I just sat there, I was like, yeah, that's, that's not my dad sort of thing. <laughs> Welcome back, dear listeners, to episode eight of Your Ghost Stories. I'm one of your hosts, Nigel. And I'm Jamie, the other half that completes Nigel. Thanks for joining us once again as we explore the unexplained, inviting guests from all walks of life to share their real-life experiences with the supernatural in their very own words. On today's show, we have Callum from Luton, UK, who reached out to us via email. He and his family previously owned a paranormal research company and have visited many spooky locations around the UK. Callum goes into detail about his family's ghost hunting and investigations business, seeing a Frenchman with half a face and the story of a spirit predicting the future. So we're going to jump straight into the show and welcome Callum. So hello, Callum. Hello. Thank you for joining us on Your Ghost Stories. So you are self-professed number one fan of the show? Yes, 100%. Big fan here. No pressure there to make him say that whatsoever. (laughs) Callum got in touch with us via email and said he had some cool stories to share. So from what we read in the email, Callum and his family used to have a ghost hunting kind of business in the UK. So yeah, we'd love to hear more about that. So what kind of got you into, or you and your family into ghost hunting in the first place? Yeah, so I got sort of pressured into it from my mum and dad. <clears throat> and I was always interested in the technology side of finding ghosts and stuff like that. Um, my mum was a big believer, my dad not so much. And me, when I when they used to come back from ghost hunts, they used to tell me the stories and also tell about like the technology of stuff. So then I decided to get into it and I was only 16 at the time and I wasn't able to go into ghost hunts. So then we decided to make up our own business and then go around like that sort of thing. Nice. Uh, so I love the way you say your parents pressured you. Into yeah. <laughs> they so won't like me saying that. <laughs> did they lock you in a room and say, Callum, you will come ghost yeah, hunting? I was, I was forced at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> Child labour. Yeah. <laughs> so your parents were um, actual uh, paranormal investigators. Yeah. So they... I think they started off quite young age, um, looking at going around ghost hunting themselves. And then they used to pay, obviously, different companies to go out. Then they always used to come tell me. And now they're like, we're going to do this ourselves. Because the places we go to are not expensive to rent. It was more if we can get family on board to pay like about £20 to go and have a look. That's what they're more likely to do. And then we got we set up a Facebook page and Instagram page. And it sort of just blew up from there. We got quite a few followers and then new people came in and started following us and then coming on to our own ghost hunt sort of thing. So going back to the very beginning, what was it that interested both your parents? Had they had experiences when they were younger? Uh, my mum definitely, um, her mum died at a quite a young age. Sorry, her mum died and then when she was a young age, then she used to see a couple of bits around the house. And then when I was younger, I used to pick up on things. Obviously, children always do then she sort of talked to my dad about it and then he also got involved with it then he went on to ghost hunts and started to believe it and then wanted to start his own sort of thing up with her as well amazing so your dad was a bit of a skeptic before yes before they got into all this 
Okay, so yeah, we know you've been to tons of locations and you've uh, seen lots of stuff. We've, we saw briefly in your email, which is uh, awesome. And like the listeners on this show, this is the first time that we actually get to hear the stories as well. So we're just as tense and excited as you. <laughs> so when your parents um, started up their, um, their own investigations, um, how did they find out um, about locations to go to? Um, was it something they uh, heavily researched? And also, did they ever take any um, equipment with them, like uh, recording equipment to try and catch any sort of um, voice phenomenon? Yeah, with the locations, we sort of just um, Googled what other people were doing, uh, the big popular ghost hunters. And then we also did a lot of research ourselves, driving around locations, meeting the people who own them. I know a lot of them, especially like the Bedford ones, who I've got a few stories of. He was a really friendly guy and he sort of let us do it for cheap and really wanted to get involved himself because no one else sort of done it there um he obviously because it was a family experience as well he really was up for it then with the equipment i think we spent way over like a grand on it it was a lot of things we did especially like um a couple of bits we can get from like toy shops was really weird and then other bits like the recording devices and then i think it was an emf box we got a lot of it we we took with us because i was more interested in that and i could use it a bit more because obviously i was a bit younger I was a bit more quicker with it instead of them. They sort of just left me to it. And we could, it was sort of like a free equipment sort of thing. When when people came to us, they'd be like, take the equipment, go off for like an hour and do it yourself, which not many companies used to do anyway. So it was like first in the business sort of situation with that. That sounds pretty cool, actually. That sounds pretty cool. Um, I only wish that uh, I had I had come across that um, a few years ago because some of the ghost tours I've been on, it's been a bit... Um, yeah, they've been a bit strange, to be honest. There wasn't what I was uh, really expecting, and it kind of felt a bit um, forced. Yeah. But uh, but get, going back to it, what was your first uh, experience with the uh, paranormal? Was that with um, your parents going out on a particular sort of ghost hunt, or was it um, a personal experience from um, something unrelated? Uh, I'll say it's more unrelated for me. I used to have a clock in my, what we used to call like a, a playroom, what was my back room for when I was younger. They, we just sort of had a clock in there. It was like a Chelsea clock. And I used to play football with my dad in there on, on the Xbox. And we always used to, that, that clock never worked. When we brought it, it never worked. Took the batteries out of it. Sort of just had it as a display piece because I liked the team. Then when we was, I can't remember what date it was, but when I was younger, we looked at it and it started ticking. And me and my dad just looked at it and we were really confused. And that's when he sort of explained like what he believed in the ghost side. And I didn't really know much about it. That's what sort of started it off. And then my mum also said about there's loads of experiences that used to happen at our house, which obviously I was too young to understand. But that's what sort of, sort of kicked it off, really. Do you and your parents still live in the same house? Yes, we do, yeah. Have you had any more experiences over the years? A couple of knock-ins, little things. We, we did keep the Ouija board in... Uh, our house for a bit which we always thought started a couple of bits we had an alarm clock under the bed that wasn't used for years and as soon as we came back from a ghost hunt it went off that's when we sort of said we're going to get all the equipment out we're not going to have anything to do with it we'll keep that up the garage and we'll leave it as it is sort of thing so you did mention in your email that you previously had a ghost company. So is that kind of the reason it all got put to an end because things were coming home with you? Yeah, one of the, I think our last ghost hunt, we had a, we what we called an evil spirit. Um, it growled us and it, it wasn't nice at all. 
which sort of said it can't, we thought it followed us home it was a bad year for us in general we said we, we'll just call it in and plus it wasn't as much of interest anymore tv sort of get hold of ghost hunts and ruin the experience for everyone and they will go into it expecting big things when nothing happens they get disappointed and leave bad reviews so tv sort of ruined it as well for us yeah that's the problem i guess is when you're in that situation and you are you know you've got to make money your family's got to make money but when you are in that situation you know there's no promise or guarantee it's like kind of when you go on holiday and you go dolphin watching yeah and they have to put a uh, disclaimer sorry uh you might not see dolphins but come on the dolphin ride yeah exactly let's get into some of your stories take us way back so we've heard your first story what kind of piqued your interest in the paranormal in the first place so let's hear some stories from the paranormal investigator days with you and your family so it all started off our first one was in a place called moot hall in bedford it was run by a an elderly man called Clive. He That was the one we went out to him. We spoke to him. He was really interested in it. He's only had one or two companies in there before. And because it was a family business, he was really up for it and said, whatever you need, we can sort it out. And that we've done that one about four times in our year, year and a bit of experience with him. And every time we've been there, it's been probably one of my favorite and one of the, everyone's favorites one to go to sort of thing. So what is it that drew you and your family to Moot Hall? Have you heard previously about some things happening there? or? Um, we've had a couple of reviews where people left on just on Google and generally saying it was a bit of a spooky experience. It was opposite a graveyard as well with a famous person called John Bunyan. Uh, I learned about him at school and spoke to my parents about it. He sort of owned the land and there was a lot of sort of like energy around there. We sort of, well, my mum definitely felt it when she first walked in. And just we thought this would be the perfect one to sort of start off with. Did she feel bunions rubbing on her shoes? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but she definitely felt something. <laughs> I've definitely heard that name before. When you say John Bunyan, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't live too far from Bedford actually. Well, I grew up not too far from it. I don't know why, but you just said John Bunyan, and I'm like, oh, I know that name for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> what is he famous for? Um, so I believe he owned most of Bedford's toddington and harlington um he was sort of like the landowner and kept a lot of i think i can't remember what it was but i know he did a lot of land around there there's a famous john bunyan walk from i think toddington all the way to bedford which he sort of did himself and i think he died near moot hall but i'm not too sure on that one so he definitely didn't sell plus size shoes (laughs) he did not no (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit of the history of Moot Hall? Kinda. I know it was built in 1800s, I believe, and it was used as sort of like a Mayfair events for for kids like that. It was also a soldier ba- uh, base camp, and I know it was famous for French soldiers for some reason. Um, but yeah, it, it had a lot of a lot of history there from from very early on. Take us into the beginning of the story of your experiences at Moot Hall. Yeah, so the first night, it was more of a, a charity night that sort of kicked off the main business as well. Um, it was sold out within, I think, about an hour, um, quite a few tickets there. A lot of it was family, but again, it sold out quite quick. So it was a lot of energy there already. Upstairs, they have a huge table, which we did our first, sort of, I guess you call it seance, which you sit around the table, you shout out your names, ask any questions, and it sort of gets the night started. Like A lot of energy build up. So me and my mum and my dad used to walk around the table saying, can you say your names? And sort of just like rile everyone up, ready for the night. And it got the energy going. So throughout that first night, there was a lot of lot going on, a lot of lights flashing. Obviously, this is in pitch black. There's not many roads around there. 
So from the windows, you saw the lights coming in, a lot of things going up and down the stairs, which we had these automatic lights that used to go off a lot. And in the John Bunyan room where another table is, it's all like isolated from everything. We did our first sort of like sit down talking session. I was in there and I know there was something happening when the lights down the stairs went off. I saw a man, which I think, oh, it's, it's my dad, like a, a big man. And I saw him wearing a French army uniform with a half burnt face, which I got blown back by. I just sat there, I was like, yeah, that's that's not my dad sort of thing. Then we carried on, which we're doing a recording session during this as well. Then we, throughout the recording session, we asked him questions. And I think within 20 minutes, I decided to cry for no apparent reason. I literally just broke down. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Everyone thought it was because I was scared. I was like, no, I'm not scared. I don't know what's happening. And we decided to play back the recording. From the session, I said I saw the man to where I started crying. There was no no evidence. And we pressed record on that and left it to the side. So that was our first like big, big experience. And we spoke to the owner, Clive, and there is a famous French man in French uniform who used to be there a lot. So, Wow, Callum. So this is all pretty intense. Um, so going back to what you said about being scared, so sitting here today, you sound pretty fearless about it all. It doesn't seem to kind of phase you having communication with the other the other world. Have you always been like that or have you kind of become desensitized to it from exploring so much? Yeah, I'd say it's not really, really phased me at all. I've never really been spooked by it. I just genuinely think, find it really interesting why they're still here and why they're roaming the earth still. So when you saw an army man with half a face, that didn't phase you? Not at all. No, I was sort of sort of blown back and was like, what is going on? And it was just interesting to think that he hit me at the end there with me kind of crying. It was, it was a really strange experience. If it was a sad situation, picking up on that negative energy can sort of uh, make you feel overwhelmed. But uh, going back to the, um, you say, the French soldier that you, that you saw... Was it a full body apparition? Did it look solid or was it sort of um, slightly sort of uh, see-through? Or was it like, like you're sitting next to Jamie now, was it as clear as day? Uh, yeah, kind of. It was kind of see-through. It it was really weird. It was like, my dad's quite a tall man, he's like six foot, and it was like he was there, but it wasn't him. And that's what really blew me back. And being in a French uniform, which we Googled later, was identical really really was confusing he was wearing black and the uniform is a brown color um so it really did throw me off but seeing like a full man there was was scary <laughs> wow so it kind of used the silhouette of your dad mm. to um come across yeah that's pretty uh i mean fair play to you but i mean that would have sent the you know <laughs> yeah. the shiver the shivers up me for a, yeah. for a start i'll be like right uh I've, I've got my money's worth i'm going now <laughs> it's funny that the two people doing the podcast will be the first two out of the room yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've got another story uh that you wrote in about which is called uh, a place called kelvin bunker and you heard a whistle noise there could you tell us a little bit more about this yeah it's a place in kelverton where if there was ever a nuclear war in i think the 80s they would go down there which wasn't particularly used or particularly of we thought haunted because obviously no one would die there was no nuclear war they didn't need to use it but i'd say it's probably one of one of our second best places to go just for the actual things going on there it it's a spooky place it's really strange could you describe the location to us yeah so you go deep into a forest 
to actually get there. You drive in, it's about a mile driveway. You pull up, it's obviously turned into a museum now, but before that it wouldn't be a museum. You pull up, you then have to walk another, I'll say about 20 minutes down this forest place. Then you enter this sort of a normal looking house. Then you go into the house, you obviously now it's a museum, but it wouldn't be. You go down a corridor and it's about a half an hour corridor, I'd say, which is just in complete black because it's underground, no lights. It is just the purest black you can see. You go in, there's a big steel door, which is also used for explosions. They have all weapons down there still. Then it is, I think, four floors, I'd like to say, of just like computers, obviously all from the 80s, computers, um, sort of military based sort of thing with all maps on it. It's just, it's huge. You can get lost in there. It is mental. Do you say this is open to the public? Like, um, obviously, do you have to pay to get in guided tours and stuff? Yeah, um, it is open to the public now. I, I believe it's still open. This was obviously back in I don't know, 2016 sort of thing. But um, yeah, it, it it's, I think it's still open as a museum and it's not expensive to do. The ghost tours are a bit more expensive because the owner knows what he's, he's sort of got sort of thing. But um, it is, yeah, it's a it's an amazing experience to go. Yeah, sounds really interesting. I think I'd quite actually like to visit that one day. Just for our listeners, if anyone's interested, whereabouts is this? Um, place called Kelvington, so I think it's about half an hour away from where we lived. I'm not too sure, though, but it's about there. So it's half an hour from around Luton? Yeah, I would say so. So what happened there in uh, Kelvington? Um, so it started off the night in this long corridor in pure blackness. So I think there was about 20 of us again, because we used to do quite small groups, which made the experience a bit better for everyone. So I think there's about 20 of us we're all in this long alleyway can't see anyone um it wasn't too bad in that bit there was not much going on a couple of knocking noises a couple of stones thrown and bits like that we got to i believe the cafeteria era, which we set up as our base we then said oh it's your own free time we'll go off and do whatever you need to do we then was watching the cctv just everyone sort of walking about then we knew that cctv had no no sound on it and we heard probably one of the most blood curdling screams. It was a proper, proper scream. We thought if someone hurt, we, we went exploring. So no one said it was anything. And that that genuine, I've never seen my dad like shake in fear and that really got to him. Um, that was our first experience. Then ending off the night when everyone went home, our energy was low. It's about half four in the morning. We've been there since 11. We decided to call it in, go around all the rooms, check if we haven't left any equipment. And we heard a clear as day whistle, like literally we asked it to do it early on in the night to see if we can copy it. And it then copied it at the end of the night. We just said, it's way too late and we're too tired to go exploring this. But that was like, we knew someone was watching us in that place. And the whole night we thought someone was watching us. Something clearly did not want you there, right? <laughs> not really. I say it's more... we. I think it was more the builders that would have died there than anything. And it was built on a Roman base. Um, but we don't, we think we've done that twice and both times it's sort of been a good night. But, but yeah, nothing that's all really was there. So I'd love to know how to say somebody's interesting in, say somebody's interested in going on a ghost hunt. How would they, one, find these locations and two, actually gain, you know, permission to get into these buildings? We we thought that from the start. We was like, we don't know how to do this. We we started off completely fresh. None of us had experience in anything. My dad was a, a a coffee seller from the start. He knew a little bit about like obviously getting pictures and stuff like that. But we knew nothing about ghost hunting. 
we sort of found the places of people we knew or other other ghost hunting places and then he used to ask the owner just sort of went there and he said yeah we can do it for this price and we sort of worked out if we can get 10 of us in that'll pay for it and have a good night sort of thing another one of our locations that was quite a popular one which we didn't think we could get away with was the readout fort i believe that is round clapton on sea ends which is a military base which is pretty much like a huge fort um that was what used to have i think minimum 50 people in other ghost hunting we got away with just 15 which wasn't expensive we i think we may have lost money but for the experience it was definitely definitely worth it so i actually went to clacton a few weeks ago just for a nice stroll down the beach and have an ice cream i did see some forts on the seafront the big circular buildings is that what you're referring to yeah so this is a i think it's about 1000 square acre sort of thing it is it is massive um it was used for looking out to sea um back in i don't know when it was but it was looking out for sea and see if anything was coming so it used to be massively circular and yeah it, it was huge <laughs> did you spend the whole night there uh with your group on that night yeah we got there i think our family got there about five five o'clock in the evening we set up people started arriving from about seven because this was about winter time so it got dark quite quick and I think from maybe nine o'clock all the way until half three was in this place because it was so active. We did we we really did not want to end it. We were so tired we did not want to end it. <laughs> Do you think that was because there was um only fifteen of you uh, compared to like fifty people that they would uh, usually have in there? Oh yeah, definitely. Because we ran it in a different way to everyone else, people decided they wanted to to come to us more than everyone else because. You had your own free time. Not many people did that. You, we literally said, "Here's an hour, go, go and do what you need to do. Go and explore." Okay, so you, um, you guys would set people up. Um, did they use? Did they used to get them to do sort of Ouija boards uh, when they were there, or was it just simply just explore and do your own seances? Uh, yeah, we we had a group um, Ouija board session. A lot of people were very skeptic about it, which is which is fair enough. I think films and obviously TV gave it a bad name. It's nothing like that. It, I always thought that as well. Until you do one, it is literally simple as, as long as you shut it down, as long as you start it, there's no issues there. It can bring out some bad spirits. We're obviously not saying they wouldn't, but every time we've done it, we've also had a good experience. So have you had any experiences with bad spirits while you've been doing these? Yes, it was at one place. I think it was called Shire Hall. Um, they Their main place has a underground bunker which was used again for the war it is again pitch black it's right underground they weren't they're not allowed to really use it for ghost hunts because it's unsafe but because it was only a few of us they allowed us to do it we was in a group of i think about 10 of us but they're all related so they're all really young people i say about yours two ages um they all came there all as family and we, when we started, we thought this is not going to be a good night. We weren't really looking forward to it because they were quite young. We it, sort of immature thing, but they weren't at all. Went down to the the bunker bit, and this was just off the Ouija board. We went down there, and a growl happened, which we all sort of looked. We thought this is not good. We sort of got onto subject: could it be like a dog sort of spirit? But then we all knew that it would be evil, and a huge flash of light came from the wall. And after that, we sort of said, we're going to call it. We don't want to know what's happening next. It could go horribly wrong sort of situation. 
So you got this sensation that something there was very evil. Yes, yeah, totally. That actually sounds terrifying um, here in a growl. I say, Jamie, you've heard um, a few demonic growls, haven't you? Would you Would you explain, um, would you describe it as a sort of like demonic growl that you heard? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, again, that night was really weird. From the Ouija board, we had um, this young couple there. We, we didn't know they were related, like we're not related, but they're part of a relationship which um, they did the Ouija board and it kept calling up mum and dad. And they said, oh, well, our parents are still alive. Could it be their grandparents? And I think after, I think one or two months or even three months, we got an email from them saying that she was pregnant. And we found that really weird. They had no idea. And this Ouija board sort of lured them to saying, you're going to be a parent, you're going to be a mum and dad. And that email, we still got it, and it's really, really scary. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's crazy. Once every episode that we record, one of the stories always gives me a kind of tingle or a shiver down my spine, and that was the story. <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? Like, the last guy we had on this podcast, also a paranormal investigator, was saying how, you know, they these spirits, when you communicate with them, they can see into the future, they can see into the past, you know, and the present. And uh, it really is fascinating, isn't it, when you have that kind of communication and then something like that happens, it's uh, mind-blowing. Yeah, I've heard so many stories about people using uh, Ouija boards and a spirit coming through trying to either warn them or tell them something. And um, usually later on down the line, they they find out uh, something that confirms what backs up the spirit, what they were doing on the Ouija board. And again, I think that is so sort of... uh, surreal and creepy because i can imagine getting sort of hooked on doing a ouija board to try and find out as much as you can and then like taking over your life mm. yes definitely it was a very very strange experience for, for for all of us there and to find out that at the end sort of just said this this is something real would you say that was uh grounds for um proof that ghosts and spirits exist for you yeah 100 percent. knowing that and not them knowing to me is definitely definitely proof there so callum you have a few more stories for us have we got to your favorite story yet i'll say the moot hall one was definitely my favorite but the all-time one was definitely at a place called bromham mill that to me was more proof than any ouija board or anything for me and even seeing spirit that there's something paranormal the stage is yours (laughs) so another place in bedford was a place called bromham mill it was an old water mill, which apparently a lady died in the water um, with or something with her dog as well. And f- since we got there, even just doing a walk around the building with the owner, it just started off straight away. Doors slamming, just everything, lights turning off. It really started from there, which we thought we need to get in the ASAP. There's another house opposite that we always wanted to do, but apparently that was too unsafe to use. But we always thought the spirits from there came over to here when we were there sort of just say hello um but the main story i've got from there is as i said from the toy shop things we had these things called lighter balls if you touched them or even like slightly knocked them they would go off nigel's got lighter balls (laughs) (laughs) just rub nigel's balls and they glow red (laughs) are you envious that i sometimes put glitter in my shower gel it's like sometimes if you if we go to a disco um nigel just lights come down nigel just pull his trousers down give him a little flick (laughs) the lights just go spinning everywhere (laughs) they don't call him disco nigel for nothing (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you say this was a water mill? Yes, it was, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Brumman Mill. Um, yeah, so we had these light-up balls that we would use. Um, they sort of just sort of flash around the whole thing. <laughs> I just looked over. Um, yeah, so we had these light-up balls that we used to use. <laughs> I can't get over that now. That's always going to be in my mind. All you can think about is Nigel's shiny <laughs> balls. <laughs> Being the disco ball. You're laying asleep tonight. Oh, no, his balls. <laughs> They're in the face. I can't get them out. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we had these light balls that we used to use a few times throughout the night. They used to go off. Um, but this particular one, we set them up downstairs where the water mill was and they went missing. We thought, oh, someone's kicked them. Here's what it is. They're cheap enough. Obviously, if they've gone in the water, you ain't retrieving them. Then throughout the night, we kept asking the spirit, like, do you know where the ball is? Do you know where the ball is? And we had these EMF readers that used to pick up on electric magnetic field. And they used to go off saying, Every time we asked it, yeah, they knew where they were. A Ouija board, we did it. Yeah, I know where it is. We said, can you tell us? They all said no. Throughout the whole thing, they all kept saying no. And it got to the end of the night. And right on the floor, we went upstairs. Right on the floor behind us was this ball. And no one had it. It was only, again, about 10 of us. No one had this ball. And to see it literally right on the floor, to me, was like, that is the most solid proof I've seen. Wow, where do you think they? Uh, where do you think they took the that ball? Was it just one ball that went missing? Yeah, just just a, a blue one as well, which made it even weirder. He was like, this one just completely vanished. It, it's sort of an interesting thing. If you had a tracker on it, where would it say it was? Like, would it say it was in the room? Would it say it's gone? I really wanted to know, but it's an answer you'll never yeah, get. Yeah, <laughs> that's that sort of uh, makes me think. Did it? Did it leave our reality and and join the spirit world and come back? Is that even possible? You know. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. Well, maybe it briefly went into the water and the ghost just wanted to see you in your swimsuit. Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe she was interested. <laughs> <laughs> so by the sounds of it, Callum, you've got one more story to tell us. Yes, this was at um, Shambrook Theatre, another one in Bedford. Bedford must be a very haunted place. But it's more of a personal story between my mum, my dad and me, which was, again, from the Ouija board thing. It was a very quiet night throughout the whole theatre. Not much really went on. We thought someone was sitting in the seats, but again, that's more shadow sort of situation. But it was only about 10 of us. They all left around about half three. So it was left with me, my mum, my dad, and two people we knew from where we worked in the past. And they, they had an urge to do a Ouija board. He said, oh, can we have a go? And they were like, yeah, go on then. We started it and my granddad came through which was like really strange for all of us. And we had another bad year that year. And for him to come through was really strange. And it was asking like really personal questions and it would answer it. So knowing that to me, it was like these Ouija boards are, are solid proof that they, they can work. Take us through what happened on the Ouija board. How did you know it was your granddad coming through? I think we asked a question. I can't remember how it first started, but we somehow established it was him. And then we asked for his middle name, his nickname, my nickname, my dad's nickname, stuff that I didn't know and my mum didn't know about my dad. And for them to come through for him was more shocking. And me knowing a couple of bits that I knew that no one else knew it came through was really, really surprising. Just to be clear, it was just you, your mum and your dad doing this Ouija board. Yes. Yeah. The other two girls sat out of it and they said, we'll, we'll let you do this one, which um then knowing that he said goodbye as well 
was really really strange and since then we we used to say he got reincarnated as a robin sort of thing the robin brings my mum and dad good luck it brings me bad luck if i see this robin and it doesn't move um for them it's good for me it's bad and we can only see him through that we haven't seen him we haven't communicated with him apart from that night which is back in like 2018 sort of thing fascinating stuff um does it kind of give you some solace to know that your granddad may be communicating with you yeah it was a sort of a thing saying that he knows he's looking down on us and knowing that we're all safe sort of situation so you said about the robbing bringing your mum and dad good luck why would it bring you bad luck um i always said about every time i see it it was more the case of it stays there and i walk past it or it won't move it used to bring me saying a warning for bad luck um it started off when my dad's appendix burst um it warned me it ever seems to be between one month and three months that happened one time mum went to hospital for a heart thing one time my granddad got diagnosed with cancer and every time i see it something bad has happened within a month or three months so every time you see a robin you're like oh hell no yeah <laughs> uh, we went to i think it was a zoo uh, not long ago and this robin was in an enclosure they had a, they had a robin enclosure <laughs> <laughs> uh, this robin was in with the monkeys and i just said to, to danny i was like um that's bad luck now and that's when my granddad got diagnosed with cancer no way yeah wow. so it was, it was a bit of that. like a wow <laughs> yeah, every time i see it he's sort of warning me saying get prepared and yeah expect the worst to come sort of thing if you see a flock of robins in the sky it's pretty much going to be the end of the world so yeah if i ever see more than one we know something bad's coming <laughs> callum thank you so much for joining us on the show today sharing your stories uh they've really been amazing and it's so great to hear an insight into someone who actually investigates deeper rather than just like us sitting here listening to stories uh, you and your family have actually gone deeper and investigated into where these communications may be coming from. And it really does make you think there is something else here in this world. Do you think your experiences have changed the way you view um, the world and your sort of like belief system? I would de I would definitely say it did. Um, from going in there saying, eh, I'm not a believer of ghosts. I just think there's always a logical explanation to things I've seen and experienced. There is definitely my views have changed and it's definitely something there living around us even though we can't see it it's a bit of a mind-boggling experience what would you do if your life ended and you became a ghost and you could go anywhere you wanted you could do anything you wanted well within reason you can't probably can't go to thought park and ride uh, oh, <laughs> oblivion <laughs> but what would you do what, what would be the first thing you could do so you've just got hit by a car. You just saw a robin. Just got hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just there, you know. Your body's laying there, but you've just popped up and you're like, you know, see-through and shit. What, what's the first thing you do? I would I would mess with anyone I know. Really, really tell them that I'm here. Make my presence known and just mess with everyone. Would you write in big red letters on the wall, Callum was here? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'll make stuff definitely go missing. That, that that pair of socks you've got, they're gone. That wallet you've got, that's gone. <laughs> My last question for you is, uh, when me and Jamie go out on the field to do our own investigation, would you join us and sort of show how it's done? Oh, 100%. I'd be happy to bring the equipment along. I've still got it, so I'm more than welcome to do that, yes. We'd love that a lot. It'd be great to go with someone a bit more experienced that actually knows what they're doing. We'd just walk into a room and be like, Hello, <laughs> anyone there? <laughs>
yeah, it'd be amazing to to have you tag along. So we'll find something soon, and uh, we'll we'll definitely book something in with you. Callum, you've been awesome, and we really really appreciate you listening to the show and writing in to join us on the show. It's been such a pleasure to have you here, and uh, yeah, we wish you your family the best of luck. Hopefully you don't see any more Robins anytime soon. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Callum. Thank you so much for joining us on this eerie journey. We hope that your ghost stories has sent shivers down your spine, ignited your curiosity, and also made you giggle. As we conclude each episode, we invite you to carry these haunting tales with you, pondering the unexplainable and embracing the unknown. We would like to express our sincere gratitude to, to our incredible guests who have bravely shared their encounters, lending their voices to the whispers in the dark. Their stories have provided us with a glimpse into the extraordinary, reminding us that there are some forces at play beyond the boundaries of our comprehension. If you have your own spine-tingling tale to share, we encourage you to reach out to us just like Callum did. We are always eager to hear from our listeners and welcome the opportunity to feature more stories that illuminate the mysterious corners of our world. Remember to follow or subscribe to Your Ghost Stories on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on social media at Your Ghost Stories. You can also email us at yourghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for future episodes as we continue to uncover the hidden secrets, unsolved mysteries and ghostly encounters that captivate our imaginations. But for now, as we step out of the darkness and into the light, we bid you farewell. This has been Your Ghost Stories. Until next week. Sweet dreams. I'm petting my dog the whole time. That's not a euphemism.